Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 4. And while you're doing that, listen, what I want to do is tell you our sermon series, what we're in the midst of right now. It's a series called, So That You May Believe. It's in the Gospel of John. There's uh, seven different passages that we are covering and but before we get to these passages, you know, it's like if you're going to read a book, usually you find out the purpose of the book by looking at the back cover or maybe the introduction, uh, maybe even the table of contents. So you can get an idea of, okay, what's this book about? Where is it going? Well, John gives us the privilege of telling us the reason why he wrote this gospel. John was a friend all right, the one whom Jesus loved is what his gospel says. He was a very close friend to Jesus Christ. And so whenever he writes this book, he's not just gathering resources per se, uh, he's living it. All right, and so when he writes, he gives us the purpose at the end of the book or near the end of the book, John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31 is the thesis. Uh, his purpose for writing this gospel. And John 20, 30 through 31 says this. Now Jesus did many other signs, many other miracles in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, there are specifically seven, and then there's an eighth miracle that happens after Jesus arose from the dead. But there were these seven signs, and they were written for a purpose, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. So John's purpose of writing the gospel was not to give an exhaustive account of Jesus' life. Uh, he would go on to say in the gospel that, listen, the world couldn't hold the library of books that would be able to uh, explain all that Jesus said and all that Jesus did. It was so amazing and he did so many awesome things. But I got a reason for writing these seven, okay? I wanted to show you by these seven signs that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the very Son of God. And that if you, if any of you, who read this book, to, that, that hears these words, if you would believe in Jesus Christ, you would have eternal life with God. And so what I want to share in these next few weeks is that the signs that we see in the Gospel of John, they accomplish two things. Number one, these signs are going to prove the deity of Christ. Okay? It's going to reveal His glory so that you will not have a doubt about who it is you're believing in or who it is you should trust in. The second purpose of these signs is to meet a practical need in somebody's life. God understands our needs. So he's a God who's out there. He's glorious. Uh, the heaven upon heavens cannot contain him. He is that amazing. But at the same time, big God is right here with us. He walks with us. He talks with us. He tells me I am his. I'm sorry. I'm going back a few. Yeah, we'll stop there. But God is that amazing. He is a God who is with us. Now, before we jump into the text, we're going to be in John 4. But before we get there, we're going four chapters now. What did people think of Jesus? What did people think of Jesus? So before we get to our main passage, if you have your Bible, go to John chapter 4. 
in verse 45. Now, let me give you a little background of what's been going on since then. Jesus did an awesome miracle in chapter 2, turning water into wine. His first miracle that John records, an awesome situation. Um, if you want to hear the message, it'll be on our podcast. I did not get it up this week, so uh, but uh, it'll be on our podcast. And I, I would like for you to hear these because they kind of, uh, it's like a needling in a thread just to kind of see the beautiful picture of the divinity of Christ. But whenever you get to John 4, okay, so after he healed in Canaan, he kind of messed up the temple a little bit. And then in John chapter 4, something amazing happens. Jesus goes to Samaria, all right, a place that there was a lot of racism that was tied up. Praise God, we don't have to deal with racism today in our world, right? Well, there was a lot of racism between Jewish people and the Samaritans. And Jesus goes right into that issue, right into that problem. And he ministers to a lady. No miracles took place. No miracles. He spoke the truth of who he was, and people believed. And then Jesus, leaving Samaria, comes into Galilee. And look at uh, John chapter 4, verse 45. What did the people think of Jesus? It says, so when he, Jesus, when he came to Galilee... The Galileans welcomed him. Yay, right? They welcomed him. Having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So why did the people welcome Jesus? Because they saw what he did in Jerusalem. To which the question you're asking yourself is what? What did he do in Jerusalem? I'm so glad you asked. If you would go to John chapter 2, verse 23. John chapter 2, verse 23. All right, in John 2, 23, the scripture says, Now when Jesus, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. So, what caused them to believe in his name? The what? The signs that he was doing. Now, at first, your gut may say a couple of different things. Number one, it might say, well, that's awesome. They believed because they saw his good works. Okay? But then there's another part of you that's like, something doesn't feel right there. Something doesn't feel right. And it's not right. Because their belief was based on his works alone. They looked to the works and not the worker. To them, Jesus was an entertainer, not God our Savior. Their draw to Jesus was his miracles, not so much himself. And the scripture says, Jesus knew their hearts. Although they believed in him, he did not entrust himself to them. I fear that, that many of us, even in this room, may believe the wrong things about Jesus. So what I want to do is I want to I cover three points as we look at this passage. I want us to understand what authentic faith is. What authentic belief, authentic trust 
and Jesus Christ is. And it's very possible that some of us just live in the crazy world that we live in. We may have fallen into some one of these three traps. And if we did, I'm here to tell you, it's God's mercy and grace that he has given you the honor to come, to hear his word, so that whatever it is you may be stuck in, you can get unstuck. That your relationship with God can go further because you leave here with an authentic faith faith in Jesus Christ. So authentic faith, number one. Authentic faith is commitment over curiosity. Commitment over curiosity. So now we're going to go to our passage. In John chapter 4, verse 46 through 48, here's the next miracle. And so he, Jesus, came again to Cana of Galilee. We know that place. That's where he made the water wine. And at Capernaum, which was about seven miles away, or seven hours away, excuse me, about seven hours walking away, there was an official whose son was sick. He was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Galilee, or from Jerusalem, uh, Judea, excuse me, to Galilee, he went with him and he asked him to come down and to heal his son. For his son was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, listen to this, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Why did this man come to Jesus? The official. Why did he come to Jesus? Well, because his son was sick and he needed a healing. Why did he come to Jesus? Probably the same reason any of us would have come to Jesus at that moment. This was his last resort. Let me ask, what would you do for your child? You would do anything. You would go any place. You would try any experiment if your child had no other hope. And so this man went to Jesus. Listen, I'm sure him being an official, okay, he was probably either a relative or a good friend of the king, Herod, at the time. And so if he had such a high position in the king's uh, courts, to be called an official or a nobleman, more than likely this man had the best medical plan on earth. He had all the available resources at his disposal and nothing worked. Then he hears about Jesus, the miracle man. And so what did he want to do? He wanted to summon the man to do his stuff. Jesus, I need a miracle. Just like the others who saw Jesus at work and believed, this man wanted to see so he could believe. So he came to Jesus. Here's a thought. What was Jesus' reaction to the man? Well, in John 4, 48, it says it, right? It says it right there. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Did Jesus rebuke him? Yeah, he did. He did. And you know, like last week, whenever he talked to his 
his mother, Mary, he did a gentle rebuke to her. It's because her perspective was off. Okay, She was still seeing Jesus as the son who is to uh, always obey. And, and listen, we are all to honor our parents. But you see, Jesus moved into a different relationship with Mary. He was no longer just a son. He was to be her Lord and Savior. And so she had to, she had to uh, live within that new reality. Well, this man was rebuked because he had a very shallow understanding of Jesus. Like I fear I do many times. And if you're honest, you do as well. You see, Jesus is more than a doctor. He's deity. He's divinity. Jesus is more than a provider. He's a savior. He's more than a miracle worker. He's the anointed one. He's the Messiah. Jesus is more than gifted. He's God. Jesus is God. So in John 4, 48, Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So what did it take for the Jews, the people right here in the city of Cana, what did it take for them to believe in Jesus? Jesus had to do some sleight of hand. He had to do some miracles in order for them to believe. Let's contrast this with the Samaritans that I mentioned earlier. Earlier in this very chapter, Jesus meets a woman at the well. Jesus strikes up a conversation that goes from the natural, hey, water, yeah, we all could use water, and he turns it into, but I can give you living water. She's like, well, you can't, only, only, only the Messiah can do such a thing. And he's like, well, let me introduce myself to you. I am Messiah. She believes. She goes to her town and tells them, there's a man who told me every, every good, bad, and different, every, every, every sin I ever committed. He knows all about me, and he's treating me like a human being. He's treating me like a person of intrinsic value. You guys got to come see him. And the whole community comes, and they hear the words of Jesus as he describes himself to them. And listen to what the scripture says in John 4, uh, 42. After Jesus had come and spoken, the whole town looks to the woman and says this, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. They didn't see him as a miracle worker or or someone who can kind of help them out on their daily uh, needs and situations, which he does and he wants to do. They saw him for who he truly was. Preaching of the word. The Samaritan's belief was a commitment to the Christ over a spiritual curiosity. Let me say it a different way. I'm going to ask you a question. Do you For your eternal life and your daily desires, needs, wants. Do you trust Christ? Or do you trust religion? Because here's what religion does. Religion causes you to focus on the symbols. It causes you to to focus on actions. 
deeds I got to do in order to be loved. I've got to earn in order to be accepted. But when you trust in Jesus, you realize that there's nothing you can do except lean upon him for everything. How many of us are are trusting in, maybe even trusting in baptism? Maybe you're trusting in in the plate that you give. And and you're, you're assuming or you're demanding because of the good things that you're doing. Jesus, I'm doing my part. You better do your part. You better heal when I say so. You better provide when I say so. You're taking Jesus off the throne, taking his crown off and putting it on yourself. He is God and you're not. Number two, authentic faith is believing the right things over emotional experiences. This is a tough one. This is a tough one. Authentic faith is believing the right things over emotional experiences. Look at John 4.49. After Jesus rebuked him, here's his response. Uh, Sir, so he, he recognizes him as authority. Sir, Come down before my child dies. Come down before my child dies. This, this guy was in a very emotional state. All right. he, he, needed, he needed a doctor. He needed a miracle worker. And he comes to Jesus, please come down before my kid dies. Blah, blah, blah. I hear what you're saying. Blah, blah, blah. Just come down and heal my kid. And I get that. I understand that. So does Jesus. Let's look at the next verse. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. Go, your son will live. Did you catch what Jesus did not do? He didn't do this. Uh, Didn't you just hear what I said? You guys won't believe unless there's signs and miracles and stuff. Listen, you're still going after it. Just just get out of my face. I'm not going to help you. Because I only help those who help themselves. Heard that? It's not true. God helps the helpless like you and I. But instead, God gives them grace in a very powerful way. You'll see that in a moment. Jesus said to him, after this guy was pleading, please come down. Please. It's a seven hour trip. From right here in Cana to Capernaum. We got to go now. My son is dying. I need you, Jesus, to come to where my son is on the bed. And I need you to do whatever it is you do. You know, put hands uh, on his forehead. Spit in his eyes. uh, Throw some oil or water upon him. Do what you do. And Jesus' response is go. Go on ahead. Your son's going to live. And listen to this. This is the reaction of the man. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went on his way. 
What we see in this passage is that he believed. He believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. And those are the same words that were used uh, earlier when we talked about uh, the Jews who believed in his name. So there was, there was always a, a connection there. This man, let's get into his heart. He was encouraged that Jesus, the miracle worker, would say that about his son. He would live. What a rush, right? Go, your son will live. <laughs> you know, and he gets on out of there. And he goes. Humped. He just had a great emotional experience. This caused the nobleman to think positive. Right? We all want positive vibes, don't we? So he believed in Jesus' words that his son would get well. And why not believe in him? Because Jesus was a guy who spoke with authority, like a prophet. Why not believe in him? Because Jesus did so many other miracles before. And so Jesus, at this very moment, his prophecy was that the boy would not die, but he would live. How? Don't know, don't care, right? Don't know, don't care. Whether it's rest, whether it's medications. Hey, I'm going to give it up to to Jesus, the miracle worker. He said it's going to happen, so I'll just do my part. Let me ask you a question. What if Jesus said... I'm sorry, Mr. Nobleman, but it's time for your son to go. What if instead of Jesus saying, go about your business, go, your son will live. What if Jesus instead said, this isn't the plan of God for your son? Son is sick, and the sickness will end in death. How would the father react? He'd probably quick find another answer, find a fifth opinion because he's already gone through all the doctors. He's got to find something else. Jesus wasn't good enough, is what he would think. Jesus isn't strong enough. Jesus isn't who he is supposed to be according to his thoughts. Let me ask you a question. How would you react? Some of us have experienced this very thing. Some of us, we've experienced God saying, husband, your child, your grandparent, be healed. You go on ahead. I've heard your prayer and I'm going to answer it uh, according to my glory and your good. And the answer to those two things at this point in time is, yes, I'm going to heal. Some of us have prayed and prayed and prayed for family members. And God says, what I'm going to do is for my glory and for the ultimate good. Time for them to come home. How would you react? Listen, the way you react shows if you're trusting in Jesus or religion. The way you react shows whether you believe in what is right versus emotional experiences. Listen, is God's goodness based on making you happy? 
Is God's goodness based on making you happy? Is God's goodness based on fulfilling all of your dreams and desires? If the answer to that question is yes, then your faith is based on flimsy experiences versus the truth of God. Talk more about this in a moment, which brings us to number three. Authentic faith is a growing dependence over a single decision. This is going to be a tough one. Authentic faith is a growing dependence on God. You see, we don't start off dependent. We start off very independent, don't we? We all start off thinking that we we should be king of our own universe. But as you come to know Christ, you start taking the crown off of your head and putting it on him. Sometimes you sneak it back, but ever so often you, you get a little further away of independence and more trusting in Christ. But we need to know this. Authentic faith is a growing dependence instead of a single decision. Let's go to John four fifty one. The nobleman, he left, right? He's going home. And as he was going down, the scripture says, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them, oh, my son is doing better? Just out of curiosity, when did he start feeling better? When did he start feeling better? And they said to him, well, it was yesterday about the seventh hour, the fever just left him. The father knew that that was the hour that Jesus said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed. There's no other uh, uh, words after that part, right? It's just he believed in his whole household, but he believed. It didn't say that he believed in the miracles, he believed in the son, he believed in the, the works or words or anything like that. He had a resting faith. Not just him, but also his whole household. Listen, Jesus, this is so important. Whenever he found out the time, he didn't just see Jesus as some smart guy or or some predictor. Listen, Jesus did not just predict the boy's wellness. He was more than just a prophet. And this was more than just prophecy. This was deity. Listen, Jesus healed the boy. Okay? He didn't just, he didn't just say, well, uh, there's, I believe, I'm hearing God and he's predestining that this is going to happen. Okay? Jesus did not speak from foreknowledge. He spoke from power. When Jesus, listen, the boy was sick until Jesus said, not sick anymore. And it was at that very point that he was healed. It wasn't because of the works he did. It's because Jesus has authority over all things. And it blew the nobleman's mind. Why? Because Jesus didn't have to be present to heal. Jesus did not need medical records. He didn't need x-rays, CT scans, anything like that. He didn't need to mix chemicals together. Jesus didn't need to do any kind of rituals He didn't even have to say the right words. He just did it. Jesus just did it. How in the world could Jesus heal like that? There's only one answer to that. 
because he is indeed the Son of God. Jesus did not just do miracles to gain popularity, to raise his coolness factor. Jesus did miracles to show the world a sign of who he is for the sole purpose that people would believe, that they would trust, that they would depend in him as the Son of God. Which brings us to verse 53 again. When the Father knew that it was the very hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live, listen to what it says. And he himself believed and all his household. Something is going on in the mind of this man, right? This belief was a different, uh, a different dynamic than his first belief. He trusted in the words of Jesus. He believed that Jesus now could only do what God could do. And what did it result in? It resulted in him putting his absolute trust and dependency on him. So much, in fact, that he told his family. And his whole family. Listen, he said, it wasn't just some miracle worker. God healed my boy. And this God, my family, you need to know. You need to know him. You don't, know, you don't need to, to focus on his works or his goodness. Listen, this week, I have had to come to God and to pray to ask for forgiveness, to ask for a redirection in my life. I've had to ask him to come and to help me to get passionate about ministry. I've had to do all these different things. And I had to come to God and say, God, give me a piece of you. Give me a piece of you. Give me a piece of you. But you know what? God spoke to me on that last song we just heard. Listen, I don't need those things. You're like, what? You don't need forgiveness? Oh, sure, I need forgiveness. But I need something better than God to forgive me. I need something better for God to heal me. I need something better for God to just put money in my account. I need God. I need Him. I just need His presence with me. If He is with me, if He is for me, I don't need anything else. That's what the nobleman figured out. Now, guess what? The nobleman, his son is going to eventually die. And that won't in any way bring a wavering to that family. Because they no longer trust in the medicine. And you can too. Listen, everything that Jesus said will happen, it's either going to happen or it already has. That, that, that's the solid promise of God. And authentic faith says, I'm going to believe what he says. He's never been proven wrong. He has always been proven trustworthy. That's why the nobleman and his family put their trust in him. And you can too. Listen, does this mean... That everyone who trusts in Jesus is going to become healthy, wealthy, and wise? No. Why? Because God never promised that. If you hear messages like that, you're hearing a different gospel. It's not a gospel that saves you. It's a gospel that wants you to focus on the, the trinkets of God instead of God himself. Many people miss God because they're focusing on what he does 
versus who he is. Don't do that. Don't be like the Pharisees who search the scriptures to try to find eternal life. And the scriptures, every book is saying Christ, Christ, Christ. And yet they, no, no, there's got to be something I can do. Don't be like that. Are you ever going to have it all together? No, you're not. Okay? Some of us in this room are going to get sick. Some of us are going to suffer greatly. I'm going to just break it to you. Everyone in this room is eventually going to pass away. That's a promise. But listen, none of these outcomes makes God one iota weak. It doesn't take anything away from God. None of these results will make Jesus less than who he is. You see, these outcomes are not because of negligence on heaven's part, weakness on God's part, but because of sin on my part and your part. That's why we have, we have sickness, we have death, we have pain, we have shame. It's not because God missed something. It's because we grabbed a hold of something we should never have grabbed a hold of. You know what God wants to do? He wants us to take that very hand that was reached out against him. Open that hand. Take away our sin. And put his hand in ours. In Psalm 73, the scripture says, Who in the world can I have besides you? There's none greater. No matter what I do, no matter where I go, I've got Christ by my side. It says, he he holds me with his right hand. He leads me with his counsel. And guess what? And one day, he will take me to glory. If that's all Jesus does, is hold you, guide you, and takes you home to heaven... Is that enough to to worship him as Lord and Savior? Absolutely. Absolutely. The nobleman figured that out. The question is, have we figured that out? Listen, let's stop blaming God for the problems of this world. Stop asking him to be our, our divine vending machine or ignoring him except whenever we need something. Instead, today, can we call on him in believing, in assuring faith... To rescue us and others, our own families, from the fallenness of this world and bring us to himself. Again, God is not promising a perfect rosy life. But what he did promise, you can believe in. Here's just a few promises before we close. God promises to love you with a steadfast, unshakable, everlasting love. If you come to know Christ, listen... He loves you like this, and this never changes. Because when you come to Christ, here's what happens. He's got that type of love for his son. And what Jesus did was, when he was on that cross, when he died for your sins, he took all the things that God would reject about us, all of our sin, all of our failings, all of our shortcomings, our guilt and our shame, Jesus put it upon himself, and he killed it for you and I. And that's not it. Then all of the goodness of Jesus he put upon us. So as much as God loves Jesus, his own son, that's how much he loves you and I. And it's an unfailing, never changing love.
His, his promise is also that we will never be alone. No matter where you are at. Waking up at 5 a.m. in the morning when nothing seems to be working right. Guess what? He's with you. If you're falling asleep in a hospital bed, he is with you. Whether the highest heights or the lowest depths, he is with you. He also promises to make all things work together for good. He did not say that all things are good, but that he will work things uh, together for the good to those who love him and those who are called according to his perfect uh, his purpose. Here's what it says. Basically, it's all going to work out in the end. All wrongs will be made right. All things that are right now unjust will become just. May not happen in this lifetime, so we entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly. Guess what? This is an awesome promise. God will save everyone who calls on his name. Every person, anyone in this room, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're going to do, if you put your faith and trust not in things about Jesus, not in religion, but if you put it in a relationship with Jesus Christ to to forgive you of your sins, the Bible gives a promise that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a promise. How about this? He will give strength to those who wait upon him. Isaiah 40. God will give strength to those who trust, wait upon him. Some of us, we feel weak and it's about over with. You know what? God promises he's going to give you strength. I don't know what that looks like. But some of us have experienced it. Although our bodies may be failing, our spirit is strong. Some of us have been the greatest witnesses of who we are and whose we are whenever we've been physically weak. God promises strength to those who wait upon him. And he promises to give everyone who calls upon him eternal life. So again, the purpose of healing, to show that Jesus is divinity, but also to show you that God cares and he can meet your needs. Listen, God can heal you. God can do it. He sure can. But you know, the greatest need of the nobleman wasn't wasn't a miracle worker, wasn't a physical healer. The greatest need for that nobleman was a sin-bearing Savior. And that's your greatest need as well. So the greatest act of humility that you can do this morning is to submit yourself to God, to put your faith and trust in Him for forgiveness of sins. So I ask you as we close, do you trust in Jesus? I hear things at a funeral or or whenever I'm talking to to families at a funeral, and I'm going to be honest with you, it kind of turns my stomach. Outwardly, I'm like this, oh, that's beautiful, that's wonderful. But here's what turns my stomach is when I see family members may not be connected to a church or whatever, whatnot, and I I may ask them about their, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. But no, 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 no. Grandmama who passed away, oh, if anyone's going to heaven, it's her. Because, boy, she was amazing. To which I think to myself, you don't want to say this, but Grandma without Jesus is as lost as anybody. If your grandmother did one thing that that lasts forever, if she put her faith and trust in Jesus and continually depended upon him, grew in her love and knowledge with him, that's what you're looking at. If she did that, she is just as saved as you are if you put your faith and trust in him today.
Do you see that? Quit, quit focusing on, on uh, the, twer- the, not the, sorry, twerks, the, the tweaks of religion, but focus on the Savior and Him alone. That's what I'm going to beg you to do today. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now through Jesus Christ, our Savior, our God, more than a miracle worker, more than a healer, more than just a sin bearer. All those things I desperately need. But one thing every one of us need more than anything is you. God, in the Old Testament, you told Moses and the Israelites that you would bring them to the land because you promised you'd do that. But your presence wasn't going to go with them because they constantly were sinning against you. But Moses said, God, if you don't come with us, we don't want to go. God, your presence is what we desperately need right now. So God, I pray for those who are who came into here who are struggling with their relationship with you. God, that, that they would solidify it this morning. That if they don't know you as Lord and Savior, and God, I pray that you would press upon them in a loving way, whether or not they truly know you or not. God, my prayer is that this morning they would have no doubts by putting their faith and trust in you. And God, for, for the believers in this room, those who have put our faith in you, but God, we've been, we've been weighed down because we have not had an authentic faith. God, we see you as a vending machine instead of my Lord and my God. God, we look more to you at what we can get out of you instead of just being with you. God, although we're having a, we have a relationship with you, sometimes we feel so lost because we're focusing on our demands instead of your promises. God, free us of that this morning. Free us so we could see you for who you truly are. Not seeking an emotional response, but resting in the truth of your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Listen.